Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Colossians chapter 3, where in verses 12 through 17, as Sherry read earlier for us. And Matt already uh, talked about the chili cook-off, but some of you weren't here. It was phenomenal. Um, if you missed it, I'm not saying that'll go down as the biggest mistake of 2019 for you, because I don't know what you did this year. Um, but it, it was good. Let me, let me put it this way. So... Um, there was a chili uh, that had smoked brisket in it, okay? Yeah, just take that in. And if you already regret not coming last night, let me tell you, it was smoked for 16 hours of that brisket before it was gently put in this chili, and I'm sure stirred around. And here's the crazy thing. That chili took second place. All right, so next year, be there. Uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. Um, several years ago, I remember a commercial on TV. Um, it, it caught my attention. So this couple uh, walks up and they meet uh, the person that they were, they were supposed to meet at this really immaculate office building. Um, and he, uh, he, it becomes pretty clear that he's an architect and he's walking them up these really, this modern staircase. And as they go by all these pictures on the staircase, he's, he points out this beautiful building that he created and this one and this one and this one. And they get into his, uh, his office, uh, they sit down and he says, so what can I do for you? And the wife says, we'd like you to design a house for us around this. And out of her purse, she pulls out a water faucet made by Kohler. Right? Absolutely ridiculous that, that you would be so in love with this water faucet that you would pay this hoity-toity architect to design a whole house for you. But, but it, it reminded me, uh, it reminded me of Christ, that, that really Christ is fully worthy of, of our whole life being ordered around him. And when we see that there, there are things that have, have taken his place, then, then we need to reorder our life around him. Jesus is, is worthy of being the focal point of your life, the centerpiece of your life. I heard someone put it uh, one time. He said, is Jesus the, the blazing sun of your solar system? And yes, we have uh, other aspects of our lives that, that totally matter. They're, they're, they're meaningful. They're valuable. But is Jesus your everything? If you go by, by the, the name Christian, uh, the title Christian, it's a declaration that your life isn't your own, but, but it has been purchased by Christ, and therefore you are his. Oh, that that would be true of us, both as individuals and collectively as a church, that Jesus would be the center of our lives, that everything we do and say, everything would, would just flow from, from Christ, the, the center of our lives. Our truth statement today is since we've been made new in Christ, which has been established in Colossians, since we've been made new in Christ, let's do everything from our words to our deeds. Let's do everything in the name of Jesus. So we're actually going to start in verse 17 at the end of our passage for today. Paul says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
right? Every, every aspect of our lives, from, from even the, the little words that we say to, to the way that we live out our lives, the, the actions that we take, they should all be name, done in the name of Jesus. Every single part of our lives, our, our words and our deeds should actually match. As a church, our word and our deeds should match. Our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples for Jesus from all peoples through gospel-centered mission, growth, and community. That's what we say we're about. I think that's a solid mission statement. When a body of believers has a laser-like focus on Christ's name being exalted, on on people becoming disciples of Jesus, both here locally and all over the globe. When when a church puts on the virtues like we're about to read, um, God is glorified, right? He's seen accurately for who he is. And I'm guessing that all of us long for our words and our deeds to just be congruent, right? That, that there is no difference. None of us want to be hypocrites. As believers especially, like we, we want to be a people where the words and the deeds match up so that we can brightly point to Jesus who has saved us. But I think every one of us also knows that our, our words and our deeds don't always match up. Uh, to some degree, we're all hypocrites. Uh, I'm sure you probably relate to me if you're a Christian. Uh, where there, there are some people that claim to know Jesus, and you look at their life, and you just, you just wish they would stop telling people that they are a Christian because what they do looks nothing like Christ. Or uh, maybe you get frustrated like I do by, by news coverage of like TV preachers or, or, uh, or some pastor that's in some, some scandal, and, and I, I'm just embarrassed that, that people who don't know Jesus think that Jesus is, is like, like this guy. Um, how we live our lives matters because we point to Christ. He, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. What kind of image of Jesus are we to this world? Let's jump back, actually, to verse 11 from our passage last week. Paul said, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Christ has made us new in him, right? The old self has been cut off by Christ. He's told us that in verse 9. In verse 10, the new self has been put on by Christ. God is making this new people. He's making this new, redeemed humanity. He's he's gathering his his family together. He's making his church. These are people from different traditions, different races, different social classes, different beliefs, backgrounds, experiences, all of it. And he's bringing them together. And the, the common thread is Jesus. He's everything that matters. And he is our life, as Paul's told us over and over again. Who we were before doesn't matter because Christ is is the one that matters. He says Christ is all and in all. Christ is absolutely all that matters. And when when I get to the end of my life, I want that to be true about me. I went to a memorial service yesterday. A guy I went to church with for several years, Steve. um, And it was so great. 
like, like we read in Ecclesiastes months ago, it is good to go to the house of mourning. It is good to consider the end of life and for Steve to consider the life that he has now with Jesus. It was awesome to just hear, there's like a, a 10 to 15 minute open mic time, right? Open sharing, and that always makes me a little nervous at memorial services. You know you've been to one where somebody shares and you're like, oh, I wish they weren't up there right now. This is not that way at all. It, it was beautiful because they, everyone just talked about Jesus in Steve's life, and, and, and I found myself driving away just going, man, why do I get so distracted by things? Like, why do I get so distracted by things in 2019 that I just think matter so much? And, and really, really they don't. Throughout Colossians, in this short letter, I don't know if this word has jumped out at you, but, but I, I just keep thinking about fullness. Like Paul wants us to know that the fullness of Christ, that there's nothing lacking at all in Christ. That uh, he, he describes Christ, he, he says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Right? And then just after that, he says that we, that we are filled with him. So is it obvious that you're filled with Christ? Do we look like we're filled with Christ? How do you know, uh, how do you know when you're filled with Christ? Um, you know a bucket is full of water when you carry it. Man, I'm so nervous right now. When you carry it and, and it spills, right? This isn't totally full because I was nervous next to all that equipment, so let me fill it. But when a bucket's full and you carry it, you can't help but spill water out, especially a big, like, five-gallon bucket. You pick this thing up, and I know you look at me and you think, Greg, you're so strong. Surely you can balance this well. But it, it spills. Oh, Samson. Uh, it spills all over the place. No matter how careful you are, are we so filled with Christ that he just spills out? Right? That, that, that everywhere we go, that, that Christ, his love for us, right, the virtues that, that we're going to read, that, that he just spills out everywhere. Everywhere we go, there should just be this, this overflow, this, this dripping of, of Jesus' grace in our lives. Verse 12, he says, put on, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And, and we're going to get to the put on in a second, but he, remember, we're, we're God's chosen people. So this means that this is by God's grace that you've been chosen to be a part of his body. It isn't because you bring something spectacular to the table, right? Anything that you bring, anything I bring, it's because Christ gave it to me. So we've been chosen by his grace and grace alone. He's made us his own people. We're told that, that we are loved by God. And I, I don't think we sit in that reality enough, that, that God the Father, creator of all things, he loves you. He, he doesn't just put up with you but he actually, he loves you. Paul, Paul tells us that we're, we're holy. We're a holy people. And he keeps using all this language. It's identity language. He's speaking to who we are because of Christ throughout this book. Right? And it doesn't mean, 
I know I said earlier that, that, that before Christ doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that your background, your upbringing, that, that, that God doesn't use all of that. It, it just means that, that Christ is ultimately, he is all that matters. Jesus is what matters. Our identity centers on who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, that he, that he is in you. Tim Keller, he, he's so stinking smart. He, he puts it this way. He says that our identity uh, in Christ, it's identity received, not identity achieved. Because so often we, we walk around with, with identities that, that we have achieved. It's stuff that we have done, but, but, um, but Paul keeps telling us, no, like you are, you, your identity is in Christ because of what Christ has done. It's not what you have accomplished. It's, it has everything to do with what Christ has accomplished. Right? It's about Jesus' glory, not your own glory. Identity achieved is focused on us. It's, it's man, I, I'm, I'm so good at this, right? I, I started this company, or I do this, or I, I don't know, I, I, can, I can sing really well, or I'm so athletic, or whatever it is. That's, that's identity achieved, but I, the identity we have as Christians, it has all been received, and it's all by God's grace. So Paul, he keeps reminding his Colossians believers of who they are, as God's people, that their love, Jesus has proven that on the cross. He says that they're, they're holy, which means they're set apart. They're set apart for God's purposes. So I wonder, do you think of yourself as being set apart for, for what God wants, for God's purposes, right? Our, our mission that God has given us is to, to go and tell the world about Jesus, right? To make disciples who make disciples here and all over the planet. So do you think that way as you go about your day, right? As you go to, to work or, or to school, whatever you do. Uh, students, um, after I drop my kids off at school, um, I, I just pray most of the way home. And I pray for their school. I pray that God would, would bless the staff, that, that God would bless the students. I always pray for kids that are just hurting at school, that, 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 that God would, would, would have someone that sees them, that steps into their life. And, and then I always pray for the Christians that are in that school. Because God, I know God, is, he's, put, he's put those Christians in that school on purpose. Because right, there's a whole mission field there of people that need to hear about Jesus. Adults, do you see yourselves as set apart? And I, I, I don't ever mean to paint a picture that everyone's an evangelist. I get it. The, the body of Christ is, is diverse. Right? God, God gifts us in different ways. We are all a part of making disciples. We all need to be ready to, to speak about why we know and trust Jesus and follow him. But, but are you set apart and letting God use you in the ways that he made you? And, and one thing that's really hard in a church is, uh, or bad, I should say, is it's so easy for us to see other Christians and go, oh, yeah, that, that sister or that, that brother, they're so good at that. Like, there's, God has just gifted them so well. And, and, and we miss how God has gifted us. We can see how everybody else in the church is gifted, but we miss how we're gifted. And, and maybe you feel like the disciples when, when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000. He said, all right, what do we have? And, and you feel like you're coming to Jesus and like, I got a couple loaves of bread and some fish. Could you do anything with that, Lord? And if, if we are set apart, we, we've been made to be used 
by God, even if we're not totally clear on it. We're God's chosen people. We're, we're loved by him. We're set apart. So here's, here's what we put on. Right? And he's telling us this is how God's people dress. These, these are the garments. This is the clothing that you put on. We put these on so that God is glorified, that, that in everything we do, everything we say, it will be in the name of Jesus. So verse 12 continues. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Last week, I gave the illustration of my nasty, sweaty workout shirt and how gross it would be to put that thing back on. And I'm sorry for the couple people that cringed as I said that. I felt a little bad afterwards. Um, but, but it represents the old self, right? That, that we're not, that's not our aim anymore. Right? Our aim is Jesus. And, and one thing I love about Scripture is when we're told to not do something, he always, God always is gracious and tells us, no, do this instead, and this is better. This is actually good for you. So when he tells us to put on these garments, these are good things, he says. And you notice that we're active in this. Christ is the one that cut off the old self. Christ is the one that put on the new self, and yet we're invited here, we're told here, to put on these things, put on a compassionate heart. How often are you moved with compassion in your heart to the point of action? I'm sure you, you probably recall Jesus and, and description of him being, descriptions of him being moved with compassion as he looked at the crowds that were lost or, or at suffering people. But go back this week, too, and, and look in the Old Testament and look how often God is described as being compassionate. He tells us to be kind. He tells us to be humble. Right? If, if your neighbor or a coworker were to describe you, would they say, yeah, they're so kind. Like, they, they don't even have to be in there. They're so kind to me. Or, or they're so good at this thing, and yet you wouldn't even know it because they're so humble about it. Paul tells us to put on meekness. And if you're like me, this is a word that... I think we just misunderstand. Um, meekness, maybe you think of it as like a pushover or someone that can't speak up for themselves or, um, or someone that's really just kind of weak and, and feeble. Meekness, biblical meekness, is really quite the opposite of that. It's this humility, this gentleness um, that is it's usually uh, exhibited during, during trials, during sufferings, but the backbone of it, where it gets its strength, is it's based in faith in God. So this, this humbleness and this gentleness, that's, it, it's got this deep-rooted belief and trust in God. It's got this calmness, this confidence about it, that even, even if this person is, is wronged, even if they're oppressed, they trust that God will do right, that God will vindicate. Any suffering that they go through for Christ, they trust that they will be rewarded. They're deeply committed to him and to his ways in everything that they do. They wait on the Lord because they trust in the Lord. So the meek, meek person isn't panicked when it seems like everything keeps going wrong week after week. They have this peaceful freedom about them. They know that God will come through in whatever ways he knows are good and right and necessary. I think uh, part, of, part of Psalm 37 
I think is such a good picture of this. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I'm sure you know, at least some Christians, that man, that's them. That, that is a description of them. Paul also tells us to be patient, and, and patience just isn't the norm. Right? In, in our society, in our culture, everything's moving fast, right? When you, uh, when you go shopping at Costco, I know every one of us does this. We get all our stuff, we approach where the, the checkout lines are, and you scan, right? And you're scanning not just for the shortest line. That'd be a rookie move. You need to scan for how much stuff does each person have in their basket. If you're really going next level, you look at the cashier. You're like, did they sleep last night? Or did this person have like four shots of espresso and they're rip-roaring ready to go? Like we are impatient. Like a couple extra minutes at Costco is going to ruin our day. Or if you don't do that, you don't shop at Costco, um, at, at, a, at a red light, right? You're approaching the red light. There's multiple lanes. All of us look for the lane that's going to get us through there faster, right? The, the shortest line, and you judge. We judge other vehicles. We're like, that guy's slow. I'm not going behind him. That dude's in a Ferrari. Let's do this, right? I'm riding his coattails. Or someone brought this up. This is great. When you order something not on Amazon Prime, and you're like, this takes more than two days to get here? This is ridiculous. Or, or, or we're impatient with the internet. Like we don't remember how bad dial-up was. Right? Like we, we are so impatient. When, when you are patient, you stick out in this world. A, a lack of patience, I think, points towards a me-first attitude where patience makes room for others. Patience frees us from worrying over the timing of things that God has in control, that he has in his hands, and he will he'll provide good when it's time. Paul tells us more in verse 13. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing with one another almost puts it too politely, right? It's, it's enduring, with one another. Like relationships are hard. Even if you've never been married, I'm sure you've gathered that marriages can be tricky, that marriages can be hard, okay? <laughs> I don't know if that was an amen or what that was. I uh, missed it. Um, so, and you think about a marriage compared to like the whole body of Christ, you think about marriage, we're just talking two people, right? And you chose that person, and still it's hard. Right? Two sinners coming together isn't going to complete you. Okay, So you take the body of Christ, you take the body of Christ, it's, it's tough being together sometimes. Right? Sometimes we're impatient. We get on each other's nerves. We hurt each other. 
We're selfish. We assume things. We misread things. But the good news is we're not trying to be the body of Christ on our own. Right? We're, we're, we're not dependent on our own bucket that we're filling up ourselves. We're dependent on Christ who is the reconciler. When we're all striving to put on these virtues that we read in verse 12, when, when we have compassionate hearts, when we deal each other when, when, with each other in kindness, right? when that's our default, when we walk in humility, not, not looking to make ourselves more important than somebody else, when we see the needs of someone else in the body and we respond to those needs, when, when we're meek, when we're patient, that is a community that is a joy to be in. Right? That, that's a community that, that testifies to who Christ is. It, it testifies to one another of who Christ is. We remind each other of how great, how good, how compassionate, how loving our God is. It, it also testifies to people on the outside. Right, right. People that, that, that are, are maybe connected with us or get invited or, or somehow see like this body or hear about this body at work. Paul brings up forgiveness. Are we quick to seek forgiveness or, or do we hope that we can just ignore what happened and that it'll kind of dissipate away? Or, or, or do we hold on tightly to what happened because we don't ever want it to go away? We, 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 uh, we hold a grudge against people. When someone asks you for forgiveness, are you ready to forgive? Right? Or, or, or is there bitterness built up in you against that person? Someone, I don't know who said this, but someone once said, bitterness is the poison we drink waiting for the other person to die. And, man, it's so true. Like, bitterness is poison. Man, forgive people, even if they don't ask for it. Ask God by his grace and might that you'd be able to forgive them, and you're going to be the one who's freed. Paul's clear on why we forgive. It's because of what we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven in Christ. He's forgiven us of much more than we could ever forgive. You might remember uh, the parable uh, in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant, right? This guy comes before his master. His debt was astronomical. There's no way he ever could have repaid it. And he gets down on his knees and begs him, don't throw me into jail. Don't throw my wife and kids into jail. Will you please forgive me? And the master has mercy on him. He, he forgives him. And, and, and then the guy goes out and immediately hunts down someone that owed him some money. Right? And not even much money, like just a little bit. And he's on that guy. He's like, you got to pay me your debt. you got to give me this money back. And, and, and the guy says, I can't do it. I don't have it right now. Will you, will you give me more time? Will you forgive me? And he says, no way. No. And, and he orders that he be thrown into jail. Well, his master finds out about that. Right? And he's, he is furious. He says this in verse 32. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had more mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who are we to think that we can withhold forgiveness from anyone when Christ has forgiven us of everything? We've been forgiven much. We are loved by God. Verse 14, Paul tells us, 
He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Right? So the virtues that we're supposed to put on, that Paul's told us, they work because of the love of Jesus. It is the spiritual superglue that holds everything together in our relationships. We know we've been commanded, that we're commanded to love God and love people. In Romans, Paul tells us that we owe everyone, we owe everybody the debt of love. Anyone that we come in contact with, we owe them love because of how God has loved us. We're, we're to be a people that put on the love of Christ in word and in action. And I know it is hard to love people, especially when you're trying to do it on your own. I'd say it's probably impossible actually love people well when you're trying to do it on your own. But that should not be the case for those who are in Christ. If we're, if we're letting Christ fill us up, man, the, the supply, unlike this supply here, the supply is never ending good just enough to get over. Um, but when we try and do it on our own, our bucket is just going to be dry. Christ sustains us. He supplies us. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. We make a big mistake when, when, when we just say that the Bible is good for us. All right, eating veggies is good for you. Okay? Getting 10,000 steps in or whatever they say, that's good for you. Drinking a lot of water, that's good for you. Getting eight hours of sleep is good for you. Time spent with God in the word is critical. To your life. If you want a full bucket, you want to fellowship with the Lord in his word. In his word, he reveals himself to us. His word holds up a mirror to us so we can see what we really look like. His word is a light to our path. His word gives us hope that is true. It instructs us on living. So does the word of God dwell richly in you? Not just, not just this cheap, rushed, check-it-off-the-spiritual-list time in the Word. Do you ever find yourself, like I do at times, reading my Bible, but mentally I'm just somewhere totally different? Right? I'm on the next thing, or maybe the last thing, or something that my mind's just been consumed with. And sometimes I catch it, and I'm like, Lord, what am I doing? But how often do I just keep going through so I can get my reading done for the day? How would that go over on a date night? <laughs> you go on a date with, with boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, and, and you're elsewhere. <laughs> that does not go well. No one ever says, man, that was a great date, when they weren't paying any attention to me, when their mind was elsewhere. Why do we give God any less? But it isn't just God we give less to. Paul tells us, he tells us in the word dwelling richly in us that we're to teach, we're to admonish one another. Right. So out of, out of our rich time with the Lord in the word, we're to teach, we're to warn, we're to encourage one another. So if I'm not dwelling richly, it's not just that my bucket is less filled because I was going through the motions. Now I'm less prepared for, for Christ to just spill out as, as I'm with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I mentioned that memorial service that I was at yesterday. I got to see a bunch of people that I went to church with for a long time. And it was, it was just like reconnecting instantly. And, and a couple of them, we had conversations, and they're just going through hard stuff. And, and it was awesome. Like, I just got to, I had no plan of this, but I just got to share some, some things about God that I've been reading in the Word and, and encourage them, pray with them. It's the body's responsibility right, to, to share the, the teaching, the admonishing of one another in all wisdom. The job is too big for, for just a pastor or an elder team or the staff. It's the whole body. It's, a, it's the whole church. The job can only be done when the body is dwelling richly in the word of Christ. Do you have anything to share from the word? Like after, after service here, if you got in a conversation with someone afterwards, just struggling, would you have anything from your time this week with Jesus that, that would just spill out in conversation, not even forced, but, but you, it would just pour out of you? Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What rules your heart? Like if, if you had to nail that down right now, what's ruling your heart today? Christians should march to a, a different beat. Christ gives us a peace that it can't be explained, it can't be understood by the world. And when we, when we speak of the, the peace of Christ, we're virtually speaking of God's presence in you, that, that you are not alone. Paul uses the word, the, uh, the word rule. He, he says, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So the, uh, the image here is like an arbitrator or like a, an umpire, right? The peace of Christ is to rule, it's to judge. We let the peace of Christ decide what is good and right. We let it be our counselor in everything. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When our words and our actions are done in the name of Jesus, man, we're overflowing with him overflowing with him who's filled us up and he's glorified. The, the world gets to see what Jesus looks like. And that's why we're set apart. That's why we, we're holy, so that others will see and hear about Jesus who gave his life for us. And you may notice here in, in 16, 17, and 15, uh, he, he, he throws in the word thankful, right? He uses it in slightly different ways, but all over the place in just a short, short bit there, he tells us, you gotta be a thankful people. Right? You, you, you ought to be a thankful people for everything that Christ has done. Thankfulness should just spill out all over the place. The peace that rules our hearts leads us to thankful words and thankful actions, even when our circumstances really look like they're no good because we have Christ, because Christ is all. He hasn't abandoned us. He's, he's in us. He is with us. Paul tells us in verse 16, he tells us to sing. Right? He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What a gift music is. I don't know if you love music, but I do. I love, I love singing with the body of Christ. I, I absolutely love it. When we just get to worship God through song, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but God could have told us, any number of ways to worship him, and, and, and all of our life is to be worshipped. But what if he didn't give us music as, as one of those vehicles 
for worship. Like, what if he just made us do something dry and boring and terrible? But he didn't do that. He's given us music, and music is incredible. Like, it, it can move us. It, it, it can cut right to our heart. I'm so thankful for Christians that, that can write songs about God that are true and combine that with music that is good. So we're, we're going to sing here after I pray. But Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. So even if you can't carry a tune, right, you can sing to the Lord, and it is worth something. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Let me pray, and, and then we'll get to do that together. Jesus, we love you, Lord. God, it's, it is hard to believe that you love us, God that you would love us enough to send Jesus to die for us. And, and you didn't just save us from sin, Lord, but you give us life in you, with you forever. Lord, you filled us with your Son. And God, I pray that we would live lives that actually reflect that, that we would live lives that point to you, Christ, because you are so, so glorious. God, as we sing these songs, I pray that this would be an offering to you, Lord, that, that there'd be a sacrifice of praise here, that we pour our hearts out, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.